Hey fam, if we're honest, reading the Bible consistently can be a challenge, but it's never too late to start, and we're in this together. Thanks for journeying with us, and here's your host, Emma Dodder. Thanks for joining. Today, we are in the studio starting the book of Ephesians, and I am here with Mr. Garrett Weichel. Glad to be here, Emma. The smartest guy in the room right now, by God's grace. And I would like to know, what do we need to know about Ephesians? Yeah, so uh, the book of Ephesians is uh, one of the most beautiful books in the New Testament. It truly is um, a great read, and it's really simply broken up. And so you were in the Watermark Institute. Yes, I was. You were. Uh, and so I'm going to ask you, what oh, do you need to know? What is, what is the key word for the book of Ephesians? Oh, easy, riches. Why? Uh, well, in it, the outline, actually, in chapters 1 through 3, we see uh, wealth in Christ. Mm-hmm. In chapters four through six, our walk with Christ. And so in the first half of the book, we see the uh, gifts that God bestows upon or gives to those who are in him, what what a fortune that is to do life Mm -hmm. in Christ. And then the second half would be the outworking of that. How do we live in light of these gifts that we've received? Which is actually a model that Paul uses all the time in his letters. And so in particular, particularly Romans, um, Colossians, Philippians, like there's always this, um, when he's speaking more theologically, you're speaking to a church that he's uh, not trying to correct or rebuke at the time. He's usually following a pattern of belief followed by behavior. And Mm -hmm. I think in our own lives, that that works out the same way. And so um, you do not start behaving well within the gospel, within um, anything that would truly please God until you actually believe, until you... um, operate out of faith in uh, the work of Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. And so with Paul, he's trying to articulate this the same way, but he does that just implicitly by the model, by the by the structure of the books that he writes. And so with the book of Ephesians, the first three chapters being almost entirely about belief, he's just trying to paint a picture of this church. And uh, in the first chapter, you get this, this massive vibe because in uh, verses 3 through 14, it's, it's Paul like he just introduced himself. And now he's he's walking out these riches that you just mentioned, mm-hmm. the wealth that we have in Christ through one big long sentence. And so in English translations, you break this up into you know three, four, sometimes five sentences. And uh, in the original Greek, it's just one sentence from verse three all the way to fourteen. And you're in seminary right now, right? Unfortunately, yeah. Unfortunately. It is. It has been a gift truly to be there, but I feel like I'm doing a lot of work and I am tired. I'm about to wrap up a Greek syntax class with my Greek two class, and so. Uh, I can go in and try to read this, but even then, I'm still missing a whole lot of stuff, and so there's more to learn. But you know it's one sentence. I can see that it's one sentence, and so that's a win. That um, is a win. And, and as you track through this whole sentence, it's, it's Paul trying to labor to the Ephesians, um, look at all of that which God has given you by his grace in the Lord Jesus through the Spirit. What would you say to the person who looks at it, and they're like, this is dense, these are big words, what encouragement would you give them? Yep, I would say take it slow, and... Um, when words look really big, um, especially if you're reading the ESV or the NASB, they try to uh, be more word for word in the translation. So they try to find the best words that most, um, that the, the best equivalent to those in the Greek. Mm-hmm. This may be something, if you're just trying to figure out what the actual concepts are, that you go to a more uh, functionally equivalent uh, type of translation, like the NLT, maybe the NIV. Um, those could be really helpful in trying to see like the actual flow of thought. That's super helpful. Okay, what else do we need to know? Well, uh, we're actually we're still in chapter one. It's hilarious. <laughs> um, Paul begins to pray for the people of Ephesus, and it's not the last time he does it, even in this book. On Paul's third missionary journey, he actually stayed with the people of Ephesus for an extremely long amount of time. And so he loves these people. He writes to them as friends and confidants. And so he prays for them twice throughout this book. 
and their prayers that as we look to them, um, we can even see a lot more about how we should pray. Um, we can learn from the models that Paul has put forth and just see the, the riches and love and the things that he calls um, God to do for these people. That's like building our own pictures in how we may pray ourselves and lift up those around us that love us and continue to give over things to the Lord and not let it just be us in our lives. And so chapter one is chocked full of a ton of stuff. And then it drops you into chapter two, which we, I think, know chapter two for two verses, maybe three. Uh, it's Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not the result of works, that no one may boast. And then maybe you know verse 10, which is, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Those are great verses, and they're great verses to remember. But when you miss out on that front chunk of it, and how Paul is talking about, and you were dead in your mm -hmm. trespasses and sins. Yeah. And he has this stark contrast starting in verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us, you see the magnificence of truly this wealth that we have in Christ from your short outline says. We see the darkness that we've pulled out of, the death we've been pulled out of into the life in which we now stand. And that is an unbelievable truth because as we continue to see truly how dark life is without God, we get to magnify his work in our lives. It's uh, this ongoing timeline as we get to see more of how we have been dead and how we had nothing to bring to the table and God brought everything to us. So this stark contrast between death to life should magnify our view of God because he has pulled us out of death and into a marvelous life. That's right. Uh, the sec second part of that chapter then just goes in to say how we're one in Christ, how in Christ all of us can be um, in the church, in the body of Christ, truly united with him together. There is no more wall of hostility as there formerly was between things like Jew and Gentile. And so to finish up this whole first chunk on belief, uh, it gets really fun because we see again that second prayer, and it's uh, one that I think is worth just just walking through, honestly. Sure. Um, it says in ver verse chapter 3, verse 14, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, Ephesians, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. That's just one of the most beautiful prayers it I've is. ever seen in my life. Like, if I knew how to pray like that all the time, I would, but I can't, because Paul, inspired by the Spirit, is just spitting truth at this people whom he loves and whom he wants to know the God that he does. And so this first three chapters of the book is all about how um, we might believe that this God truly is um, in love with us, that he cares for us, that he came for us, that he died for us, that he has been raised for us. Now he offers us grace through faith into a restored life, which we have no conception of. And then we get into the second half of the book. And then we get in the second half of the book. It starts off with unity in the body of Christ. If you do not think that we should be one as a church on this earth, then read this and you will change your mind so quickly. This chunk starts off by just saying, hey, we are united in one spirit. Uh, we are one body one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. Again, there's these Trinitarian little like tidbits yeah. that Paul's trying to push here that's yeah, yeah, really yeah. fun. Um, but the point of it all is that grace was given to each one according to the measure of Christ's gifts. And he's given us spiritual gifts to go and be the body of Christ. Though we're different, we can be united in that. And the rest of the chapter then um, tra transitions into chapter five as well by saying, you used to be this, used to be this pagan, false 
hood-loving, angry, um, dishonest person. But in Christ, you are this. Instead of this, you are this. Instead of grieving the Holy Spirit, we get to turn to him and be filled by him. Instead of having bitterness and wrath, we get to put that away from us and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as Christ forgave us. We get to walk in love as we continue to live throughout our lives. And then towards the end of the chapter, he begins to use even practical examples. So it's not just within the body of Christ, but it's in our interpersonal relationships. We love quoting this at at weddings between um, a a future spouse with their spouse, because uh, it's a beautiful chunk of how we are to submit ourselves to one another in reverence for Christ with truly making Jesus the center of our marriage, with truly sacrificing ourselves so that the other may be made much of. That is like love. It is laying down one's life for another, and it's even better love whenever we get to do it in that, which is Christ. That's so good. And then chapter six is mostly known for being the armor of God chapter. I'm sure you've heard about this if you had any sort of time. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We love the armor of God. Uh, Be strong in the Lord. It's totally about spiritual warfare. But guys, I just have to say, it's not just about the armor. Like, it's not just about us putting on a breastplate and a helmet and a shield and having a sword. Like, these are all— The Bible man. The Bible man. Yeah, Yeah. these are all supposed to be analogies that help us remember the things which are being talked about. And so as a breastplate, as that which protects all of my core is righteousness. And that righteousness is given to us by God, 2 Corinthians 5.21. He is our righteousness. As shoes for our feet, put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, like beautiful are the feet of those who get to preach the good news. Truly, we get to go and take this places. Um, We get to have a shield which extinguishes the flaming darts of the evil one. In light of this being a spiritual warfare conversation, that's so vitally important. And then taking the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, we thus have um, that which he has revealed himself through so that we may know him in our hands. It's so close to us. It's it's what we get to use in our spiritual battles, spiritual warfare, in this life that is so plagued by all things. We get to have the Word of God in our hand, which is so beautiful. Um, and then we get to pray, which is, uh, I think, the most undervalued piece of the armor of God, oh, yeah. praying at people, all times Some people don't even know to consider that part of it. Totally. It's, it's the last part of it. And so with all prayer and supplication, lifting up to Him. And that's just, like, the book of Ephesians— it's, it's all of these movements that, that combine into being one big theological, not a textbook, but a, a personal letter from Paul to people that he loves and he cares for and he wants the best for. And um, so it's one of the reasons why it's one of my favorite books in the Bible. And it's just not full of a bunch of correction, which a lot of other books are, which <laughs> kind of get me down every once in a while. Yeah, it's refreshing. Well, we're out of time, but as we continue to study the book of Ephesians, reading one chapter a day, We're going to continue to be reminded that if you're in Christ, he has bestowed marvelous riches upon us. Hey, familia. The Join the Journey podcast is produced by Watermark Community Church in Dallas, Texas. But did you know Join the Journey isn't just a podcast? It's also a Bible reading plan with daily devos and more. Check it out by visiting jointhejourney.com.